0: We just finished a series uh, looking at what we called the grace conundrum. It's sort of the uh, how difficult it is to fully get our minds around grace, receive grace, accept grace, understand that God truly will forgive us, no matter what we've done, uh, no matter how much we've done, uh, no matter who we are, uh, no matter when we come to Him and ask for forgiveness. And we started looking last week about how that same grace that God's shown us he also expects us to show to one another. And the whole book of Jonah was all about how Jonah struggled to show the same grace that God had shown him to someone else because there's no limit as to who God will forgive. And we also see over in uh, books like Ephesians and Colossians that Paul writes a statement where he says, forgive one another just as in Christ God has forgiven you. He connects it to that in the same way that God's forgiven us freely and completely and no matter what, no matter how much, no matter when, uh, God asks us and expects us to forgive one another in that same way that we've been forgiven. And there's several books in the Bible which are really dedicated towards uh, the topic of forgiveness and grace. One of those is, we looked at last week, was uh, Joshua, or Jonah. This week, I, I, next week, I want to look at uh, the book of Philemon, uh, which is really all about extending this grace. But more so, it's about our role in Jonah was about a difficult time Jonah had in showing somebody grace who'd been evil or mean to him. And so he had a difficult time sharing God's grace that he'd been shown with another group of people. Philemon is a book about two guys named Onesimus and Philemon. But it's written by Paul. And we learn more about Paul than we do about Philemon or Onesimus in the book. And what Paul looks at, where Paul comes in, is he understands that our role uh, in receiving God's grace is not just to receive it for ourself, but also to build a bridge between two people who need to show it to one another. And so a little bit about the background of the book. We, uh, it's written by Paul. Paul, if you don't know, is a guy who started out as a religious Pharisee. Uh, he was a Jewish scholar, uh, one of the Jewish leaders. And when he first heard about Jesus and the rumors that he had Uh, risen from the dead. He didn't buy it. He didn't believe it. He was one of the greatest critics, greatest skeptics of the first century, and so much so that he was incensed. He was outraged that there were people who were going around telling everybody what he believed was a lie, that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and rose from the dead. So he sought to end this new crazy movement as soon as it got off the ground, and so he was going out to arrest and kill if he had to, and there was actually where we first see him, he's like presiding over the murder of somebody who had been telling people about Jesus, and that was what he saw his mission in life to be, was to put an end to this and to keep God's name uh, glorified in the process. Well, in the midst of doing this, he heard that there was a group of people meeting in a city called Damascus, a little north of him, so he got with a group and was headed off up there to go take care of those people up there. While on the way, he is blinded by a bright light. And he hears a voice come out of heaven, which is none other than Jesus himself, basically asking him, Paul, why are you doing this to me? Like, why are you doing this? And in that moment, Paul begins to realize that Jesus truly was the Son of God. And, I mean, here he is talking to him on this road, voice out of heaven, and realizes he was wrong about everything he was doing, wrong about everything he believed. And in God's grace, God uh, gave him his sight back, and Paul went from being the chief critic opponent of Christianity to becoming the world's greatest evangelist for Christianity in the name of Jesus. Recently somebody asked me, who do you think impacted more people for Christ, Billy Graham or Paul? Interesting comparison. On the one hand, uh, going for Billy Graham as he lived in a TV age, internet age, in which he could share the gospel all around the world, I still lobby for Paul simply because most of what Billy Graham preached was what Paul wrote, so I'm gonna go with Paul on that one. So Billy Graham was doing nothing more than to continue the ministry of Paul because the guy, if you don't know, Paul ends up writing most of the New Testament. Uh, You start off in the New Testament with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which are books about the life of Jesus. The next book is Acts. Most of Acts, Paul is the key character. He's not writing it, but he's the central character in the book of Acts from about chapter nine on He's, it's mostly chronicling him going around the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, telling people about Jesus and starting churches. Well, Paul, after he would go to a town, he would spend anywhere from a few days or a month there. Some he would even spend a few years there, and then he would move on. Later on, he would often write letters back to these churches he started. Those letters he wrote are most of what you have now in the New Testament. Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, and... Philemon, which one we look at this morning, and so that makes up the bulk of our New Testament—the stuff that Paul wrote. Well, uh, on one of his trips out telling people about Jesus, he stops off at the city of Colossae, which is on the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea. While he is there, he meets a guy named—anybody want to guess? Philemon. Philemon's a, a wealthy guy uh, in town and ends up they end up having a conversation. Uh, we can kind of deduce from some of the stuff that's in here that he had some issues, uh, like everybody does, that he needed to be forgiven for. And Paul shares with them how he can have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity. So sure enough, Philemon gets uh, saved and has a relationship with God and opens up his home and says, I want to open up my home to anybody who wants to come and learn about Jesus. And what we see throughout the pattern of, of history is that There weren't dedicated buildings for church like what we're sitting in now until about 300, 400 AD ish, somewhere in there, around 300 AD and on, is when people actually started having actual meeting places to meet together. Before that, they would just meet typically in people's homes or in gathering places. And so Philemon opened up his home for the church in Colossae to meet there, at least one of the house churches would be meeting at his home. And so. Uh, Paul and Philemon develop a good relationship. Eventually, Paul, as he does, moves on and leaves Philemon there to watch over and care for the church along with some other church leaders and moves on to start churches in other places. Well, many years later, Paul is traveling back to Jerusalem and he's taking an offering that he's been collecting from the various churches around the Mediterranean Sea back to Jerusalem, which is experiencing a famine. And when he goes to Jerusalem, sure enough, some of the same people that Paul used to work with when he was a religious Pharisee Uh, look at him as a traitor, as a turncoat, um, as a Benedict Arnold, if you will. And they have him arrested. Uh, And so they trump up a bunch of charges. They've got a lot of clout with the local Roman authorities, and they plan to basically execute him before he's even able to go to trial. And so Paul, upon hearing this, since he's a Roman citizen, he immediately asks to be tried before Caesar. Any Roman citizen could basically usurp the local authority and go straight to being tried before Caesar. That was a privilege that Paul had as a Roman citizen. So he evokes that privilege simply because he doesn't want to get railroaded through the same injustice crew that took Jesus to the cross. And so in doing that, he ends up on a ship ultimately bound towards Rome. He eventually gets there, and he's imprisoned in Rome. While he's in Rome, he wants to write some letters to some of the churches. What else are you going to do? You got some time on your hand while you're just sitting in your cell, and so he writes some letters. Many of the letters we have in our New Testament are letters he wrote while he was in prison. little side note, oftentimes what you would think would be a setback turns to be what God is using for his glory. I mean, come on, let's face it. You would think, God, I'm supposed to be telling everybody about Jesus. How can I do that from jail? And here he writes things that we're reading about Thousands of years later. You never know what God is up to when He does these things. So he's in jail and he's writing a letter to the church at Ephesus, also to a church in Colossae. Well, uh, during the time he's in Rome, somehow he comes across and meets a guy named Onesimus. Uh, it's kind of unclear whether Onesimus was a part of the church there in Rome already. Or whether Onesimus and Paul meet, maybe Onesimus got arrested in Rome, we're not really sure. Eventually the two of them develop a relationship, and Onesimus has a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that will last for all eternity. This is a new thing for him. Uh, We're not really sure exactly how they met. See, because one of the things that would often happen, when you were in prison in first century, uh, there was no cable TV in the jails, and there wasn't a three-square meal plan, those kind of things. Oftentimes, I mean, if you got food, you were lucky oftentimes people from the community would go to care for people in the prisons. And typically, if you knew somebody in prison, then you would go and be able to go and specially care for that person. In the same way now, people can send money into uh, prisoners' bank accounts so they can purchase things from the canteen, etc. If you know somebody's in prison, that is a lifeblood for them. I mean, that, that is a godsend for them to be cared for while they're there because it's often forgotten. So Onesimus, it appears, is caring for Paul while he's in prison there in Rome. Over the course of time, at some point, Onesimus and Paul are talking and Paul says, hey, share me your testimony. How is it that you, you know, got to this place? Maybe it was Paul who first told him about Christ or maybe Onesimus got saved at some point, was there on behalf of the church ministering to him. And so either way, he ends up telling him his life story. He says, well, I'm not actually from Rome. I'm actually from Colossae. I used to be a slave in Colossae. A little side note on slavery. Uh, when you think of the word slave, immediately you think of racist slavery in America. Rome was a very different system. While there were some things that echoed the same kind of slavery you may be familiar with, slavery was also a term that pretty much encompassed anybody who did any kind of labor. Uh, They were part of the slave class. Uh, That meant anybody from a peasant farmer all the way up to a physician was a part of the slave labor force. Uh, in our own times, or at least in our own American history, we have people who were slaves. We also have people who were indentured servants who agreed to work for so many years for a maybe ticket over to America. They had a lot of similar kind of arrangements back then, where maybe either pay off debts or to get a certain education or a trade craft, they would agree to work for a certain length of time. We still do several things like this. For instance, people who sign on to work for a company to have their loans paid off, like their student loans paid off. There are some people who are given a company house, but they also then have to agree to work for the company for the next 10 years, or else they have to pay the full amount back in one lump payment, which oftentimes leaves you indentured to it. Or if you ever know anything about the old company stores of the coal mining industry, there's some old country songs about that. Or, let's see, other versions of modern-day slavery-type things. Military, yes. Um, (laughs) We do say thank you for your service, but it does often feel like indentured service, does it not? I mean, what other situation could you possibly be in America where somebody will tell you where to go, what you will do, what you will eat, and what they're going to do to your body? I mean, let's face it, there's no other situation like that, I think, right now in America. Is there? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, by the way, thank you for your service Um, so all of that to say Onesimus was some kind of slave we don't know how he ended up in slavery but he was in that situation whether it was by choice or not by choice we don't know however he ends up robbing his slave master and heading out of town and finds basically decides he's going to go slip away to this big city of Rome where nobody will know who he is where he came from and can start a new life In the course of talking you can almost see where this is headed Paul says, oh, you were in Colossae. I know some people in Colossae. I actually spent some time there. Um, who, 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 by chance, you know, was this that you robbed? And you already know who it's going to be, right? It was Philemon. And Paul's like, no way. He's like, what, you know him? Know him? He's one of my best friends. And, and right now, is probably freaking out, like, oh, don't tell him. Please don't tell him. Please don't tell him. And this is the issue. What do you do as a Christian when you know two people who are also believers who are at odds over something. Somebody's hurt the other person, whatever it may be, but they're at odds, what do you do? You have some options, a lot of them are not good options. For some people, they want the role of instigator. That's where it's like, oh, did you hear what she said about you? Oh, okay, I'll go talk. Oh, did you hear what he said about you? Oh, oh yeah, did you hear what, and you go back and forth and you just love, basically, you're the one slinging mud on their behalf. And you're the instigator, the poker of it because you just love seeing a good fight. And you love being a part of it. And you get yourself right in the middle of it. You're not doing anything to help. You're just making things worse. Others of you, you like to be a spectator, where you just sit back and go, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. Good, good." When I first started off as a pastor, I remember calling up my mentor, who's also a pastor, who taught me a lot. I was like, oh, this is back when we had church business meetings at this church. He's like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. This is going to be a good one tonight. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, oh, I got this group of the church, and they're all upset about this. I got this group of the church, they're all upset about this, and it's going down tonight. And he said, he said, Steve, that's not leadership. I said, what's not leadership? He goes, what you're doing is not leadership. And it, it, was, it, it was, he was calling me out. He says, as a leader of the church, you don't sit back and just let the whole place burn to the ground and enjoy the big glow and warm yourself in the fire. That's not your role. Your role is to build a bridge. Uh, last thing I'll, I'll say, is sometimes people say, it ain't my problem. I'm not going to instigate things. I'm not going to spectate things. I'm just going to stay out of things, right? You know, this isn't me. This has nothing to do with me. Onesimus is between you and Philemon. Philemon is you. And Onesimus, you guys work it out. I'm gonna go somewhere else. And so we just sort of let it all be because we don't want to involve ourselves. Because we know if we get involved ourselves, what happens if you try to help two pigs in the mud? You get dirty. You get muddy. You get messy. And so a lot of us will opt for. We say it's a Christian thing. I'll just keep keep my hands out of this. I don't want to get involved in this. Because we know very quickly people's anger and fury can turn on us for trying to build the bridge. And we can sometimes get in the middle of it. Paul doesn't do any of those things. He understands we have what he called the ministry of reconciliation. Uh, Another one of the things that Paul wrote was a letter to the Corinth church. We have it in our Bible. It's called the Second Corinthians uh, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. He says, all this is from God. He's talking about our, our grace, our salvation, the grace we have from God. He says that God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. The entire Bible, by the way, is the story of God trying to reconcile humanity to him. Uh, It's a picture where we've done something to break our relationship with God, and God is trying everything he can to possibly fix this relationship so that we might have a loving relationship with him last for all eternity. And so Paul looked at this, and he says, this reconciliation that's happened comes through Jesus Christ, but he's also given us, he says, the ministry of reconciliation. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting people's sins against him. That's the whole grace thing we were talking about. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation, Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you then on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God, because God made him Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so he begins there by saying, it's not enough for me to understand that God wanted to be reconciled to me, that God forgave me, that God gave me grace. It's also our job, as we looked at last week with the story of Jonah, it's also our job to share that met- message of reconciliation to other people. It's not enough for me to be saved, I need to tell other people how they can also be saved and have a loving relationship with God too. That's our ministry, that's our calling. We don't just have a relationship with God and say, well, you're on your own, good luck. Who would do that? No, a loving friend is going to go and help other people have a loving relationship with God. But what we see in the book of Philemon is that Paul's understanding of our ministry of reconciliation doesn't just end with sharing them about how they can be reconciled to God, it also extends to helping somebody be reconciled with one another. That's why when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? Love God. What's the second most important thing? Love others. Love others enough that you'd help them be reconciled to God. Love others enough that you would also, as we see in the book of Philemon, be reconciled to one another. And so Paul inserts himself in this. And in the same way we learn through Celebrate Recovery that part of the healing process is making amends. We make amends, uh, and we're doing so won't cause further harm to uh, others. And Onesimus is saying, it's not the harm to others I'm worried about, it's the harm to myself. I mean, you could be arrested, you could be tried, you could be actually sentenced to death for the things that he had done to Philemon just for stealing and running out of town like that. It could be a death sentence. And so when Paul says, you need to go back and make this right, he says, oh no, I do not. I will do no such thing. I've got a good life here, I've started over, started fresh, let's just go on like, like it is right now. What would be the harm in that? He says, because you've been reconciled to God, but you also be reconciled and make good on the things of the people you've damaged, and that's a part of your recovery process. He says, well, I'm not going back there. He says, what if I, listen, I've already written a letter to the church. I'm gonna send it with my good friend Tycheus. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. You can look it up and correct me later if you want. He goes, my good friend Tycheus is gonna be taking the letter. Why don't you go with him, and I'll write a letter to Philemon and help smooth things over between the two of you. And I'm sure Onesimus said back, how about this? You write the letter you send it, and if Philemon forgives me, then I'll go back and make good. When he writes his letter back, he says, no, 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 that's not wait, you need to go back and make good on this. You need to have enough faith in God that even if it costs you your life, that's okay, because your eternity is, is, is secure with God. And so Onesimus, sure enough, decides, okay, I'll go back. So, uh, Tychius goes and he drops off the letter to church in Ephesus, or maybe Laodicea, we're not really sure which one, um, and then he takes the letter over to Colossae. And along with the letter to Colossae is this other letter to Philemon. Now, when they would bring these letters, this wasn't just like a personal letter that he'd be like, here's a letter for everybody, and hey, 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 Philemon, i got a little thing for you, here, here, read this on your own. No, these letters were read to the whole church. And so they've just read the book of Colossae to the whole church, which, by the way, remember, has that line in Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, which is, forgive one another just as in Christ God forgave you. That was in that letter. I don't know whether that was in that letter because of the situation that's going on with Philemon at the same time or that's just what Paul wanted to share with that church as well. But that's in there either way. So the church has just heard that and then this next letter is read. And so, oh, I have another letter. Now just picture if you will, somebody standing up and reading the letter to the whole church. After you read the Col- you know, letter of Colossians, which is kind of like a general letter talking about how we have a loving relationship with God and how that works out. And then Paul writes this. And, and a little bit, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about first century letters. Uh, they were written on a scroll, and so in the way we have our formal way to write a letter, uh, like when you write a letter, oftentimes you'll put your return address, the address you're sending to, the date, and then you'd write dear so and so, and then you'd write the body of the letter, then you might say sincerely, and then you write your name at the bottom. Well, when they would write a scroll, they'd always put whoever's writing it first, because you don't wanna to have to scroll to the very bottom and go, oh, it's from Mike? Okay, all right, let me see what they're saying you would just pull it up and it would give the person who's writing it in their title, the person they're writing it to in their title. And so Paul, if you'll notice, if you read through the New Testament, Paul writes these letters, he will alter some of the format of the letters depending on who he's writing to. Sometimes if he's writing to somebody who he needs to have a good sit-down talking to, a very authorita- authorita- authoritative tone, he'll say things like, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ himself, of our great God and Father Almighty, whom you all things are subject to, including you. I mean, he'll like go all the way to it and say, all right, now, you need to listen to what I'm going to tell you. However, to Philemon, he says this. Look at the title he gives himself, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother. So Paul and Timothy are together. They probably were there in Colossae together as well. He says, to Philemon, and he gives him his title, our dear friend and fellow worker. So picture, you're sitting in the church, they just read the general letter, and all of a sudden there's another letter, and it's personally to you, and everybody's hearing it. you would be like, oh, hmm, wow, he's pulling me out. Probably because the whole church is meeting at my house. You know? I don't know, let's see what this is all about. It says also to Afia, our sister, most people believe that was probably his wife, you know, probably she was there hosting everybody there and kind of doing that kind of thing. It says into uh, Archippus, our fellow soldier, probably his young son who's there, you know, doing things, working at the church. He's probably, you know, doing a lot of things that kids do, taking out trash and fixing things up and doing all the little grunt work around. He says, and do the church that meets in your home. He's like, wow, okay. Well, I don't know what this letter's about, but hey, he's calling me and my whole family out. It's kind of cool. And then he says, grace and peace to you uh, from our God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. That was a standard greeting. He would set, sort of our similar saying, you know, greetings to you. Uh, he would typically write grace and peace. Um, then he says, and then off after that would usually typically be a thanksgiving, a note of thanksgiving. And so he writes that. By the way, there are some letters Paul skips the thanksgiving and he goes straight to the correction. Like the book of Galatians, he ain't thankful for anything going on in that church. He just goes straight to the butt chew and he gives them. But here he gives a very lengthy thanksgiving. Some of you may have seen these on some Hallmark cards. They'll pull verses out of Paul's opening letters, uh, opening comments. He says, I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers. Get well soon. Um, You've seen that, right? So he starts off a letter and he says, "I I always thank God as I remember you in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who's he saying this about? Philemon. He's calling him out in front of the whole church. And Philemon, you can just picture, his going, he's talking about me. He's talking about me. Or he's maybe a little more bashful and he's like, wow. But inside, he's thinking, this is pretty cool. Wow. Um, he says, I pray that your partnership with us through the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I just picture him going, hmm? It was going really good until that word therefore showed up, like, order me to do what? He says, "Um, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Consider this as a personal request from me, Paul, an old man, now a prisoner of Jesus Christ. It's <laughs> really laying it on, right? That I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. At that moment, I am sure Philemon was like, for, he starts off like, oh, oh, he's thanking God for me. Then he's like, order me, order me to do what? Huh? Huh? Onesimus? Oh, oh no. Uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh, uh uh, uh uh, uh uh, uh uh, uh uh. Uh-uh, uh-uh. And I'm sure everybody in that congregation has heard about what Onesimus has done to him. To put this in perspective, when it talks about building a bridge between you and somebody that you don't want to build a bridge to, or perhaps maybe last week we talked about Jonah about sending a grace to somebody you don't want to send a grace to, just about every one of us has somebody, if I were to say their name, you would have a gut visceral response that just makes you queasy and uneasy inside where you're saying, oh God, please no, don't mention them, anybody else but them. I don't want to deal with them. That's who Onesimus was for Philemon. And he goes from thinking, oh, huh, to, oh no, 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 no. But then he goes on and says, Onesimus, who's become my son while I was in chains. What? (laughs) He probably was in chains with you is what he's thinking. Formerly, he was useless to you, but he has come back, but he has become useful to both you and me. Now, there's a word play here that's lost in the English. The word Onesimus, the name, literally means useful. And so uh, he's like, he's basically, if you read in the Greek, it's like as if he's saying, I know his name used to be Onesanot, but now he's Onesimus. <laughs> right? So that's, you lose it, but he's, he's deliberately making that word play. Like, I know that he never lived up to his name back when you knew him, but he has now. He says, he now become useful to both you and to me. To me, he's not doing anything for me. He says, I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. And at this point, that's where Jerry goes, bring him on out. I just picture Onesimus you know, kind of coming out, sitting down in the chair on the other side of the stage, and the bald Steve guy coming in as the mediator. I, I have a good time when I read scripture because I think about it in terms of things I understand or know. Don't ask me why I think of the Jerry Springer show so often, but it's probably because a lot of the Bible seems very Jerry Springer-ish. I honestly don't think Onesimus is standing there while the letter's being read, either until the letter's been read or till that point. I don't know, but I'm picturing Onesimus is like, uh, "Tychicus, uh, you take the letters in there, I'm going to be out here. You tell me how it goes, right? Because I think this was kind of sprung on, but it's public? He's like, he's here? No. He says, says, I'm sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him here with me so he could take your place, helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but seem voluntarily. Now, what he's saying here is Onesimus has been here helping me and feeding me and caring for me while I've been in prison. Philemon, I know that if I was in prison in Colossae, I know you well enough to know that you'd be here doing this for me, wouldn't you? And if you couldn't be here and Onesimus was in your service, you'd probably send him to care for me, wouldn't you? I know he would do it. So it's almost like as if, by God's divine hand, you've been helping me because I know this guy left you under evil means. I know he was horrible to you when he left. But it's almost like as if God was in his own providence, was sending him here to minister to me and help me on your behalf because you would have done it if you were there. And it's like you really have done it. He's still been in your service doing the very thing you would have done if you were there. Do you see what he's saying? So he says, but I didn't want to like, keep him here. Like You know Onesimus was like, come on, man, let's just stay here. We just, he's like, no, 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 that wouldn't be right. Let's do the right thing. So he says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent, basically. And here's verse 15. Perhaps the very reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. For he's very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. And he continues on, but I'm going to stop right there. Uh, The thing about forgiveness is it's all about perspective. Uh, Everything about forgiveness and peacemaking is all about helping people change their perspective on something. When Jesus is talking about forgiveness over in Matthew 18, we looked at this story last week about the unmerciful servant. Peter comes and asks Jesus, Jesus, how many times have I got to forgive somebody? Like what, six, seven, seven times? Is that enough? I mean, can we get to that point? I mean, have I not gone above and beyond at that point? He goes, no, I tell you 70 times seven. There's no end to this. And he tells him that story about the unmerciful servant. It's a story where one guy's been forgiven of a huge debt, you know, trillions, quintillion dollars. And, and then he goes right out and somebody owes him a couple thousand dollars and he chokes him out and has him put in prison for it as a complete hypocrite. And when everybody else finds out about this, they go back to the original master and be like, hey, can you believe what this guy did? He didn't even care about that at all. And he says, oh, well, I'm gonna go get that guy. And he says, it'll be the same with your heavenly father if you can't forgive others who've sinned against you. And the picture here is a perspective issue. What you've done to me seems like such a huge deal until I match that up and against the long, 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 long list of all of the things that I've ever done that God could hold me accountable to. And the reality is, we don't know how long that list is. A lot of it we've forgotten. A lot of it we've blacked out of our mind. That's why when somebody sometimes brings up stuff that we've done years ago, you look at them like, no, I didn't do that. We can't, we don't even know, we can't remember. A lot of the offenses we've committed we don't even know we hurt somebody. That's why you watch these talk shows and somebody comes out, back when we were in high school, you said this to me, and it affected me. All. Who are you? <laughs> but trust me, all of that there is on the list of all the things God's forgiven you for. And if you can just pause, what Jesus is saying, if you can just pause in a moment when you think about this fence, is so great, and just put that in perspective in comparison to everything God's forgiven you for, how could you not forgive them for this? That's, uh, forgiveness is a perspective issue. Forgiveness is a perspective issue issue, is what Jesus is trying to get across. You'll see Paul is trying to frame everything about his relationship with Onesimus, between Philemon and Onesimus, into the right perspective. Because sometimes you've got to put things in the right perspective. The first perspective Paul operates from, as far as bridge building goes, is you operate from love, not law. Operate from love, not law. Uh, appeal on the basis of love, not law. He says, I know I could be bold and order you in Christ to do what you ought to do. I'd rather appeal to you in Love. Uh, it's the old picture of, what's it easier to do? Get a mule to go the direction you want it to go by getting behind it and trying to push it, or incentivizing it to be led to where you want it to go? Maybe something you're more apt with. What's it easier to do, get your kid in the car by getting them to want to get in the car, or by picking them up and kicking and screaming and getting them in the car? Now, if you don't learn their practice early on when it's easy to pick them up, you have a lot of problems when you can't pick them up anymore. Can I get amens for some parents who know? Years ago, I had somebody who started coming to our church. They'd left another church. Some issues going on in their marriage, everything. And their former pastor called me. up, like, well, you know, their spouse goes to my church. Now she, this person goes to your church. Uh, do you all have a church covenant? I said, we don't even got membership. He goes, oh, well then, well what I need to talk to you about, you, you, you're going to see why you need one. I said, well, what's that? And he goes, well, you know, she, she's left... Uh, uh, her husband, and she's over there, and I think she's seeing somebody else. And If you had a church covenant, you could go and show her where she's agreed not to do this kind of thing. And I said, the reason why we don't have one is because I don't think that'd be very effective. Remember 16 years ago when you joined our church? Well, you signed something when you came forward, and now you have to make good on this, or else I'll bring you up on legal charges in the church. Who in their right mind is going to listen to that? Instead, I just sat down with her, and I said, hey, what's going on? Are you not making some decisions right now that you're probably going to regret later? And I'll tell you how this ended up. She spent two years trying to reconcile the relationship, and it wasn't savable, unfortunately. But they've got a great relationship. And it's been neat to see the two of them together with their kids as their kids are now grown and adults, and they have big, happy family reunions. That would not have happened, though, had she not responded on the basis of love to do everything in her power so that she could do everything, as it says in scripture, as far as it depends on you, make peace with everyone. She tried and tried and tried and was not able to make peace in the relationship. And they both mutually agreed to go their separate ways, unfortunately. But that's a lot different than had she continued on the path she first started on or if I would come in and said, well, God commands you, you have to go do this to get back there, woman. (laughs) I'm not even gonna say why you don't say that. But so he says, I I want you to not begrudgingly forgive him. Rather, my hope is that you receive him like the prodigal father received his son. That's my hope, is that you look to the way that the father's received you, and you'd receive Onesimus back in that same way because he's treated you about the same way. That's my hope. And he goes on. He puts some other things in perspective. I love how he says, Paul, an old man. Let's picture Paul. I would love to come and see you all I just, before I die. Isn't it funny how the older you get, the smaller some things seem? Things that were such a big deal to you 20, 30, 40 years ago kind of shrink in size the older you get. And Paul's like, you know, I'm an old man. I, I don't know how much longer I have left. I don't, I don't want to go to the grave with you guys still fighting with you not being able to get over this. I don't, I, I, and he says at the end of the letter, I'd love to come see you. I don't know if I'm be able to or not. But come on, man. I've been around the block. I've seen a few things. And then I love what he says next, a prisoner for Christ. It's sort of like as if he's saying, listen, I understand that you forgiving Onesimus is going to be God requiring a lot of you. It's going to take a lot for you to do this. Because of your relationship with God, you'll be doing this act of forgiveness for no other reason than out of your love for God. Because he's asked you to do it. And I'm sure that's going to be suffering a lot. But before you think that that's just too much to ask, what has God required of me to do right now? I'm not in jail because I killed somebody, murdered somebody, or ran off and did something to you like what Onesimus did. Why am I in jail? I'm in jail simply for sharing the gospel. I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm in jail. What God called of me to do, to suffer for the gospel, has probably been far worse than whatever Onesimus has done to you. Is that a fair comparison? I'm in jail simply because that's what God's called on me to do. Now seriously, you're going to tell me that it's too big of a thing for you to forgive because God's called you on that? Think about what other people are suffering for right now. Years ago, I was having a pity party for myself and bemoaning over all the things I've had to go through in life with death and loss and everything, and... Uh, This very insensitive person just looked at me and said, oh, shut up. (laughs) And I'm like, she said, there are people starving in this world. There are people who are refugees. There are people, there are thousands, millions of people who would look at you and just be like, please, give me your life. So just shut up. I had two reactions. One was, well, that's just about the most insensitive thing I've ever heard. I can't believe it." But the more my gears started running, it was like, she has a point. And I think at some point in Philemon, he's gotta acknowledge, he's got a point. I mean, how do you tell a guy who's literally suffering for Jesus, really? Oh, but you don't know what I've lost because Philemon took it from me. I've lost everything, Onesimus or Philemon, I've lost everything, man. I've lost my freedom, whatever possessions I had are long gone now. They didn't let me bring a whole trunk full of my suitcase stuff here. You don't get that privilege when you're in jail. I'm here with nothing but the shirt on my back. And you want to go on about what all you've lost? I'm a prisoner. There's some more perspectives, but we'll get into those next week. Over this week and next week, you're going to have a temptation next week to not want to come back because you don't want to do the hard work of reconciliation or because you don't want to build a bridge between two people who need to have a bridge built. Uh, I'd encourage you, even if you don't come next week, just Listen not because I feel the need for you to listen to me. I just want you to hear out the rest of the scriptures and what God wants to tell you to do. So you might understand the proper perspective to see this issue that you've got going on in your life, whether it's you and somebody else or a relationship two other people have. Uh, It is a much needed skill to be a bridge builder in our community. Can we agree on that? We need a lot more bridge builders than community burners. We are so quick to torch everything down, to burn relationship to the ground and burn bridges, aren't we? We need a lot more bridge builders. That's the ministry that God's given each one of us. We join us as we close our time in prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord, that for whatever reason, you chose to include this message, this short letter, this personal letter, into our scripture to be preserved so we might be able to read it. So we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that our call to be ministers of reconciliation extend far beyond just our relationship with you or other people's relationship with you. it's not enough for us to sit on the sideline or to stay out of things. We've been called to build a bridge to risk our very relationship with people, to be agents and ministers of reconciliation. So Father, we just ask that you would help us um, have the wisdom like Paul did to help reframe the perspective of a conflict between two loved ones that might allow them to forgive one another, just you forgiving them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.